0: On today's episode of the Digging In Podcast. We talk about Esther. Hey, what is up, Digging In Family? Welcome back to another episode of the Digging In Podcast Lessons from Series. Guys, you made it to week seven, holy cow, episode 43, also known as 7.1, also known as the story of Esther. Man, oh man, what an exciting ride it has been to get here. And let me just tell you one thing as we start off this week, this is your last week in the Old Testament. I mean, we've done now, we'll, we'll finish up seven weeks, 49 episodes, all of characters in the Old Testament. It has been one heck of a ride and I have enjoyed just about every single second of it. So thank you so much for joining. I really hope it's been encouraging. I hope it's been growing you in your faith. I hope it's been giving you the opportunity to fall deeper in love with God as you get to know the ins and outs of scripture, but also why it's relevant even today. And, and the same is going to apply to today and to this whole week. And this whole week is going to be a bit of a hodgepodge. I, I wish I could name each week because this is going to be a literal hodgepodge of just a few remaining characters. To be specific, we're actually going to look at six characters that I kind of passed over, five of which, five, five of those, or four of those characters are characters that you probably know. Actually, it is five. It's technically four episodes with five characters um, that you probably know or you've at least heard of before. Just. Uh, Episode 47 or or 7.5 and 7.6. You may not actually know that these people exist, but they're people in the Bible. And I'm going to teach you the lessons that we're going to learn from them. And then in the last episode, we're actually just going to look at the whole Old Testament and what we can learn as Christians specifically. What can we learn from the entirety of the Old Testament? And so that's going to be really exciting. I'm excited to get to that point. But before we get there, we've got a lot of really cool ground to cover. So, join me in grabbing a Bible, a pen, and some paper, and let's dig in. Father God, thank you so much for bringing us all together today, each one of us individually, some of us in a group and as a family. Shout out to all the families, and God, thank you just for all of it. Thank you for the fact that We're sitting here right now spending our time focusing on you. We are not just doing a task, and we're not just uh, picking up the Bible because we're supposed to. What we're doing is we are learning about you and, and growing in our love for you. So in this pursuit, God, in this joy-filled, desire-filled, love-filled pursuit that we have to know you more. We ask that you would open up our eyes to see you clearly in the text. We ask that you would open up our ears to hear you clearly in the text. And we ask that you open up our hearts, God, so that we can love you more just by reading your word. We love you so much, God, and we ask you would be with us today. And, uh, you know, just, just help us be reminded of who you are and why all of this is important in our lives today. All these things in your name. Amen. Right on, guys. The story of Esther, man. Uh, I you know I I feel like I say this a lot. One of the craziest stories in the whole Bible. I feel like I say that phrase all the time because the Bible is just crazy. The Bible is so amazing. It's full of stuff that you would think at some level it would be it would be funny if it were made up. It would it would almost even make sense if it were made up. But the problem is because it's so crazy, because it's so connected, because it answers so many things back and forth and forth and back. Th- this couldn't be made up. It'd has to be directly i mean i mean literally it has to be directly real it's it's just so awesome it's it's so cool and, and this is a story that i think is really going to actually actually uh, highlight that because for those of you who who have read the story of Esther you know the craziness of the story for those of you who have not and this is your first time opening up to the book of Esther then Oh man, buckle in because I'm going to tell you two facts right off the bat. I mean, the most, the most important facts right off the bat. Number one, the the number one most important thing about the book of Esther is God is never mentioned. You're like, what? hold up. <laughs> what do you mean God is never mentioned? Man, I, I make these things for my youth group here uh, in, in Colorado um, called Calligrams. And what they are is there's, a, there's an online, a free online resource for it. And it allows me to input a whole bunch of text. In my case, what I do is I take it chapter by chapter of whatever book we're going through. And so for instance, right now in, uh, on Sunday mornings, we're going through the book of Hebrews. And so I'll take the entirety of Hebrews 1. And what I'll do is I'll, I'll copy and paste all of it in there. And I'll, and I'll take away all the common words like the and and the. Um, and then I'll go through and look at, for words like through and those and things. Stuff like that. Just the, the little common words I don't have. They're important, obviously, in context. But for what I'm doing, uh, not that important. And then I make it into a shape. So let's just say, for just for giggle's sake, uh, a, a A square. And so I choose the square and I choose a couple colors and then I click, uh, visualize. And then what it does is it takes all the words of chapter one of Hebrews and it puts it all together inside of this square, each of the words. And the, the bigger the word is, the more repeated the word is. Some people call these word clouds, but their official name is calligrams. And so as I've gone through the book of Hebrews with a lot of, uh, with our kids, the, the word God is huge in every chapter. In fact, for most of the 13 chapters of the book of Hebrews, God is the biggest word. And it's, it's huge because it's, it's said so frequently. But what I'm saying right now about the book of Esther is that the word God is never used. I mean, in terms of Yahweh, the name of God is never explicitly mentioned. Uh, and, and so right now, actually, what, what you guys need to do is you need to open up your Bible to the story of Esther and go ahead and read the whole thing. If you guys are working through this on your own, I, I, I just implore you. I want to say beg, but begging sounds kind of weird. But I want to beg you, in, on, in all honesty, that you would actually read the stories, read the verses I'm telling, because that's how we get to know the Bible. I can give you an overview. I can give you a general theme of what's going on. But if you guys have been going through it with us, I, I skip some things. I skip some really important things. And I do that because of what we're trying to do. So why don't you guys go ahead and open up to the book of Esther, the book that never mentions God, and read chapters 1 through 10, and then join us back for our discussion. Alright, welcome back everyone. I just want to start off this whole discussion with this thought right here. Uh, verse, Chapter 1, verse 1. Now in the days of Ahasuerus, the Ahasuerus who reigned from India to Ethiopia over 127 provinces, so on and so forth. Ahasuerus. Uh, Persian King is a Persian king also known as King Xerxes if you guys uh, are familiar with the movie 300 um, or, or just thoughts about you know King Xerxes and all, all that was the great Greek versus Persian stuff. Um, interesting history for sure but that's the time that we are looking at is under the reign of King Xerxes. Uh, in Persia, which means that this story is actually taking place outside of Israel, and so what we're reading is a story that never mentions God, that's not even in or even close to the rest of Israel, and what we're reading about is a woman who is brought into this whole story by her cousin, her, I don't even know, second, twice removed, whatever, her cousin Mordecai. Her cousin Mordecai is a guy of great Jewish faith, and and uh, Esther, this woman being brought into the story, she is believed to be Jewish because of her Jewish ancestry. And so the fact of the matter is Mordecai is a strong Jewish man, and he kind of comes from, uh, I don't want to say nothing, because he does come from something, but the fact of the matter is in this moment, he's kind of on the, the lowest on the totem pole, and he's bringing his beautiful uh, cousin you know, into the, into the picture here. And so what happens is in this foreign land, in a book that never mentions God, what we see is one of the greatest stories of reversal known to man. And so I the reason I wanted you guys to read this is because I'm actually just gonna blow through it. I mean, like I'm not even gonna highlight on all the, the little details um, of, of everything. But this is a book of ironic and, and or coincidental twists and reversals. If you remember, I told you there's this, this concept of the literary reversal. And what that means is that there's a moment where... You know, one guy is is low, and another guy is high. And then at this one pivotal moment, the tables turn. And the guy who was once low is now going up high, and the guy who was once high is now going low. And if you guys were carefully reading, then you saw that with the transfer of power between Haman and Mordecai. Haman was up high in the court and found himself, after chapter 6, verses 1 through 14, found himself uh, kind of in, in the worst case scenario possible as the guy that he was hating on, the guy that he was punishing, who was low, Mordecai, now takes his place and begins to run and rule in a foreign kingdom. And so this is really, really, really cool because once again, God is never mentioned. And so what we see is we see a woman, Esther, stepping up in a way that feels a lot like the story of Ruth. A, a woman stepping up and holding her ground, knowing that she's in a really, really tricky situation being in a foreign place, hiding her Jewish identity, and ultimately still is able to move forward as a woman and, and make massive, massive steps and massive gains, And Mordecai walking alongside her is able to use the greed and the power of a foreign leader with Haman to his best advantage, to use it against him, use his evil against him to turn it into his own, Mordecai's own good. So if you're still confused, it's because you guys didn't read the story. Um, If you're like, what is Finn talking about? You have to read the story, guys. It's crazy because what we see is a, a foreign, a foreign girl, Esther is given the opportunity to become queen after the previous queen is kind of more or less banished. Mordecai uh, ends up in a position where he hears that uh, someone's going to try to kill the king. And so Mordecai goes and tells the king uh, and, and the king is saved. The assassins are um, eliminated, and the king is like, oh, great, Mordecai, you're so awesome. I'm gonna write this down in my book of history, and um, that's about that, and that just kind of ends it. The dude saves his life, and he almost forgets it, right? And then this guy, Haman, enters the scene, and he wants to kill all the Jewish people, and this is, again, why they're Mordecai and, and Esther are hiding their Jewish identity at some level, and so Esther decides she wants to figure out how she can help the Jewish people, And then, and that turns into this whole plot of, I'm going to have, Esther says, I'm going to have a banquet. Um, I'm going to try to invite over both Haman and King Xerxes and and throw them a banquet at my place. Um, And then that's going to lead to a second banquet. And after the first banquet, um, Haman decides he, because he really hates Mordecai, that he wants to actually kill him. And so he he tries to make this whole uh, this whole decree this tricky decree about um, I'm going you know how he can kill Mordecai because he's a Jew and he's going to make the king try to sign it and, and you know go go through with it so to speak um, and then the king remembers one random night, just remembers while he can't sleep. All of a sudden he just is reading from the chronicles in the history of his life, you know, good bedtime reading and remembers Mordecai and remembers that Mordecai is the one who saved him. And then is like starting, things are starting to, to click for him. He's like, wait a second. Isn't Mordecai a Jew? Like, wait a second. There's something, wait, there's something about Mordecai. And then Esther helps to kind of reveal this plot in her banquet through uh, through Haman trying to kill Mordecai. And then the king is like, wait a second, that's the guy that saved my life. And that is when we get this whole concept of the reversal. Right there in chapter six, uh, the king remembers Mordecai and realizes that Haman is trying to kill him. And then Esther reveals the plot in 17. And then Haman is then killed in the exact way that he was going to kill Mordecai. My, how the tables have turned. And then In chapter eight, even though the decree was signed to kill all the Jews, to destroy all the Jews, Esther is able to help save all of the Jews by helping arm them and say, hey, anyone who comes against you, you guys be prepared to fight. God will be with you. Again, never says that God will be with them and never says that God is even present in this moment. But we imagine here that God is supposed to be with them. And so, sure enough, the bad guys all come to kill the Jews. And then the Jews, the small number of Jews, ends up defeating all the bad guys. And then Mordecai is praised forever. How crazy is that? I mean, what a ridiculous story. One man, Haman, had all the power underneath the king and then found himself in a position where now all of a sudden he's low all because of this this crazy reversal in chapter 6. So again, read the story if you did not, because here's what I want to talk about a little bit. Although God is not mentioned, where is he? Well, here's here's what I here's what I give to you. Here in uh, I think 2 days, let me check my calendar here. Yes, in in 2 days you're going to read about the story of Daniel. And if you guys remember looking backwards with the story of Joseph back in Genesis, then you're going to read a similar story there as well, which is There comes a time when someone who is a a faithful Jewish person, a faithful lover of God, that even if they're in a low position, God will raise him to power if he so chooses. If he desires to raise someone to power, to bring about his name and his glory, then he will. So Mordecai in the story plays the role of both Joseph and Daniel. A person who is faithful to God, but who is in a low position. And then when all of his faith is put on the line, when everything about who he is and his entire existence is put on the line, what does God do? God protects him and raises him into power. The story is identical to Joseph's story in Genesis. It's identical to Daniel's story as well. And so This is gonna blow your mind, but although God is not mentioned, it's the same exact pattern. And not only is it the same exact pattern, but it's happening in a foreign land where the two main characters are a Jewish man and a Jewish woman. And so this gives us the opportunity to actually use our brain muscles. And this, I believe, is what the author is trying to do. I believe that the author of Esther is begging us, is pushing us to actually dig into this text, read it, and then see the similarities where this text and this story relates to other stories all throughout the history of Israel. The author wants us to think. And the reason I can really prove that is because we go on later with the stories of Jesus and, and he says to love the Lord, your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. In the old Testament, it says your heart, soul, and strength. Jesus adds the word mind and he's not adding it to change scripture. He's just helping to break down a mis a misheld belief That Christians just have to believe and that people who are faithful followers, they don't need to think. They just have to blindly follow. It's just dumb luck or dumb following. That's not true at all. Jesus says, use your mind. And I think that the author of Esther is trying to do the same thing, saying the author is saying, look at this story. Where do you see this story all throughout scripture? How do you know God is present? Because you know this story. You've seen this play out. You've seen the pattern of this story play out in so many ways in so many places. So know that God is there. Know that God is in a foreign land. That God is working in a foreign land while he's also working in your homeland. He's also working in Jerusalem. That God is at work at all times doing everything and anything that he desires for the glory of his name and for the good of his people. And so the lesson that we can learn from Esther today isn't just this stand up and be bold that I hear preached so often with this story. Like, young men and women, stand up and be bold in your faith. Yes, that's an important lesson. Hold true to your faith. But the, the great lesson here, the lasting and beautiful lesson is to know the goodness of God in the way that he works all things at all times. He's not just working some good out for this person here and then you have to wait till 12.35 your time before it's, it's before you're on the queue so that he can work something good in your life. No, right here, right now, at 11.30 in the morning, he is working the maximum amount of good for the maximum amount of people, for the maximum amount of glory, all the exact same time. He's maxing out the scales every day to bring glory and power to his name and love and goodness to his people. He's doing it for everyone. How? Because he can. He's the most powerful being. He created the universe, people. He created the universe. I just jumped back in to listen to one of my episodes from early, early on. Actually, the first episode I ever published on The Creator. And I'm like, man, I wish I would have said this. I wish I would have said this. But the fact of the matter is, I think I got the gist across. Which is that if you're willing to drive across a bridge... A bridge that's just some random Joe Schmo, super smart, but some Joe Schmo built this bridge that takes you from point A to point B, and you're willing to just drive on it by trusting the civil engineers that built that, you're willing to trust that, and yet you can't trust the creator of the universe, the one who literally created everything, including the guy who made that bridge? Like, that's mind-blowing, right? And so we're talking about this concept of knowing that God is at work and how relevant is that in today's world? Although this world is confusing and dark and twisted, and sometimes it feels like there's no hope, you have to remember that what scripture tells us time and time again is that even in the darkest moments, in the worst places in the history of Israel, God was still at work. And I'm telling you right now that in your life, no matter where you are, no matter how dark, no matter how deep the pit, God is still at work. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of the Digging In Podcast Lessons from series. Join us on our next episode as we keep moving on with our hodgepodge series, and we talk about the prophet Ezekiel.